0: This is Patrick Daly and welcome to Interlinks. Interlinks is a program about globalization and the effects it has had on Ireland and other countries around the world over the last 50 years or so. In each programme, we interview a person from another country or with strong connections to another country or countries to get their unique perspective on globalisation as it has affected them both personally and professionally. There's a little bit of history, dash of economics, sprinkling of business and an overlay of personal experience from both me and from my interviewees from around the world. Today, we will be speaking to an Irishman. Uh, who is one of a rare breed of Irish people, I think, who can actually speak foreign languages fluently. In fact, John speaks six languages, four of which I understand he speaks uh, fluently. We'll talk to him about that in a moment. John has travelled extensively uh, around the world, both for business and for leisure, and so far has visited over 80 countries around the world as an executive with CRH, uh, which really could be described now as an Irish multinational, John travelled and worked extensively uh, with various different cultures. Currently, John is the co-founder and chief operating officer of a business called Culture Me. The mission of Culture Me is to enable business travellers to do business like a local when they venture abroad, and we will be discussing how Culture Me uh, do this, as well as touching on other aspects of internationalisation and globalisation in today's interview. So I am delighted to have... uh, um, John Lee joined us here today in the studio to talk to us about his experience. Welcome, John, and thank you very much for being here with us today. Thank you
1: very much, Patrick. Delighted to be here.
0: Great. So foreign languages then. Uh, Speaking foreign languages fluently, as I said, unusual for an Irish person. How did that happen? How did that come about with you?
1: Very good question. I think I started off uh, when I was actually 10 or 11 years of age in primary school. Uh, Back then, uh, not many of them did it, but they started giving me a bit of exposure to different languages. And they started with French. And uh, that kind of planted the seeds and uh, I think when I was by 11 or 12 then German and then of course he went into secondary school. And I just loved the idea of being able to connect with other human beings in their own language. And I just fell in love with the idea of languages and especially when you travel and you could practice it then, it, it's something that really grew with inside me and I, I just fell in love with the idea.
0: And why do you think then fluency is, is important? Um, what difference has it made to you? Uh, personally, what difference has it made to you in, in business, say in your career with, with CRH? Um, and what difference does it make to you now uh, in, your, in, your, in your own business?
1: I think one word
0: relationships. Mm.
1: When you really make an effort to dive into a local language and understand it, and understand it to the idea of fluency, uh, and I kind of defined fluency as if you can crack a joke in that language, well, mm. then you're fluent. Uh, and for me, when you have that connection, that ability to connect with someone in their own language, it puts them completely at ease, puts them completely relaxed. You can do so much more. You can build a relationship quicker and you can build a much more enduring relationship. So for me, I've seen it in so many different ways. I, I give you one uh, one little tip. But for example, when I used to work in internal audit in CRH, uh, some of the colleagues, they would be, uh, let's say, trying to do an audit and have an interpreter beside them. Um, whereas I was able to connect with the local person Uh, in their own language. And what it meant was, is uh, straight away, I was able to build a relationship and I'd be able to have a conversation. And straight away, you'd be able to get, you know, so much more done so much quicker and they'd open up to you more. So Mm -hmm. you'd end up finding out and discovering a lot more. (laughs) Writing the other report was so much easier for me (laughs) compared to the poor people that were doing it interpreters. So I think that's just one simple example. But also if you're, for example, selling to another culture, uh, again, you cannot underestimate the ability to just shake that hand from the word go and connect with them in their local language. It just transforms the potential of you being able to do business abroad.
0: Excellent. And um, in your case, which, which are the languages that you, that you speak, either yeah. fluently or,
1: or yeah, partly? I you know? So I speak obviously fluent English, but then fluent German, Dutch, uh, and French. Mm-hmm. And I also speak a poquito Espanol, a little bit of Spanish, and obviously Irish as well.
0: Okay. And Dutch is a strange one. How did that happen?
1: So, I got the opportunity to go over to CRH's European uh, kind of products and distribution head offices that was based in the Netherlands. And mm-hmm. so, I spent eight years living there. And I had known, having worked with Dutch people before then, that they have excellent English, but actually what I call the water cooler uh, conversations are always done in Dutch. And even in meetings, they were very uh, easy able to talk to each other uh, in Dutch across the table. So, I knew that uh, despite them having very good English, it was crucial to try and make an effort to learn their language because they're a very proud country in many. Anyways. Mm-hmm. And that really made a huge difference to me. It, made, it meant I could settle in there much easier. I could get to understand the local people, the local culture much easier. And uh, for me, it really paid off. Mm. And how did they react to that? Uh, initially it was funny because I, I had spoken fluent German going over there so I just started off I, I did some language courses uh, yeah. before but I initially just started listening to the conversations and sometimes I'd try and put in a, a few words here and there and it'd be like with the odd German words thrown in because there yeah. are some similarities yeah. and so they just kind of laughed at me a little bit initially uh, but they appreciated me making the effort and sometimes I'd be in a meeting in the first few months and I'd say no let's do this in Dutch and i just listen and maybe I might only pick up maybe 10% of the conversation but it was through those conversations Building through lunch was a great way to learn it, and mm-hmm. just doing that over and over again—that I built up, the, built up the fluency. And it, it, I think it, because it was
0: not a lot of Irish people go over and actually try to learn the language. So when you did, you really stood out. Yeah, yeah, you were unusual. So this is the thing—you know, English is the global language of business. It happens to be uh, the language that we speak in in day to day. So you know, a lot of people would say to me, you know, is it really necessary for us to know other languages? What, what do you think?
1: I think it absolutely is. I Mm. think you look at the way the world is going, look at the advancement of, for example, China. You know, I think it's for sure English will be a key language in future, but you are closing off your horizons, both professionally, but also personally, if you don't make the effort to learn another language. Because I think the beauty about learning another language is you just open up so much more from a creativity, from a self-awareness perspective, just from your own self. You learn more about yourself, your own culture by trying to learn another language and the beauty then of connecting with other people across another language not saying no to that means you're leaving tremendous opportunities in life behind and yeah. I think it's particularly in the moment of Brexit as well I mean yeah. needless to say it's becoming more and more important to learn European languages
0: So you get yeah, I guess you, you get so much more out of it don't you out, you out really of your business do. out of your travel out of your relationships
1: Exactly and I mean it's always a cost benefit it does take time to learn a language but the investment is worth it once you learn a language you will have it for the rest of your life
0: Yeah then there's this uh, some, some companies now uh, are adopting uh, corporate languages with strategies. And I even read about a very extreme case of a CEO of a Japanese company called uh, Rakuten and um, Hiroshi McTani is his name. And he actually forced English as a corporate language globally, even in Japan, in the headquarters, among Japanese people speaking to each other. So do you think companies should have an explicit corporate language strategy, whatever that should be? And how should they formulate and implement these language strategies?
1: It's a very. I think if you look at that, that's a, a brilliant example of uh, how to be so careful about it because maybe I think they could have made the right decision or wrong decision. I'd be interested to see how they actually got <laughs> on with the results. But I think it's one thing to actually, first of all, you have to decide what your key language is or your key languages. Like, for example, IBM have identified eight different languages in their corporate language strategy. And it's also combining it with, on the one hand, okay, deciding on what language or languages you want to focus on, but also giving the tools to people to learn the language. So let's say you identify as English as the main language. Well, how are you going to support the employees to actually learn that language and also learn about the different cultures they're going to as well? Because it's never just language on its own or just culture. It very much often goes hand in hand. But then, for example, a simple. is do you actually provide in, let's say, WorkEx a time uh, to actually learn the language and tools, whether it be going off the language course uh, very often you find companies uh, they say this is what our language is let say it's English but they don't give you the time to actually learn it so I think it's on the one hand deciding on what it is but also having the support mechanisms to really support your employees to be able to, to deliver on that
0: Yeah so a strategy has implications yes. and you've got to implement it Yes
1: exactly yeah exactly
0: uh, So I guess then if we overcome the language uh, barrier um, we're still left with cultural mm-hmm. differences they're always there um, even with people that we think of kind of close to home culturally maybe the British or the, or the Americans mm-hmm. so j- just to start off with this from fundamentals in, in your opinion what is culture or what's the definition of culture for you? For me uh, the essence of
1: culture is your values your beliefs your customs that mark out your national culture so, if I was to ask you, or your listeners, what makes you proud to be Irish, if you're from Ireland, what makes you proud to be Irish? And very often, one of the questions we ask to illustrate this, we often pick a neighbouring country. So, if I, sometimes if you ask people, "What are Irish people?", they'll say, "Oh, we're friendly, we go crack, you know, we're great for the pubs and all the rest." But that doesn't tell me very much. So, mm. what I often do is I pick a neighbouring country. I say, "So, you're you're uh, you're like the, the the Brits, are you?" I say, "No, no, no, no. Hold on a second. We're different <laughs> because of X, Y, and Z." And now you get to the essence of what the culture is.
0: Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then when you're when you're talking about cultures and the differences. On what kind of vectors are cultures different from each other? One you kind of mentioned was maybe the perception of, of time, mm. but maybe also things to do with perception of, of hierarchy mm. or formality in relationships. What For you, what are the... Yeah, for me, the, 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 the yeah good, the core one that I always want to try and get a handle on from
1: the word go is I want to understand what's the communication style. That's the, that for me is the most important because uh, if they're a very direct culture, like let's say for example people from the Netherlands, they are so direct you know, if you did a presentation to someone in the Netherlands and they didn't like it, they'd say, Patrick that was a crap presentation, that's mm. just not going to work whereas if you did it for someone in Ireland they'd say, oh, an interesting presentation Patrick I, I like what you did <laughs> over here, we'll have a think about that one over there, but well done. I mean, This cost a uh, business person I know, like millions He presented to his Dutch, presented to his UK boss and then a few weeks later he said, what the hell have you done? Invested all that money. I said, well, I thought you gave me the green light. Just total intercultural communication. So communication style, that's number one. Uh, You've also got, you mentioned time, for example, in Germany, if you arrive on time, you're late. So even if you're doing virtual meetings, Mm -hmm. you've got to understand the essence of time and how we see it is different across cultures. Uh, Power distance or hierarchy, that's another one. So uh, I think in Bulgaria, uh, life is a ladder, uh, some to go up, some to go down. So in some cultures, you sit somewhere on a ladder mm-hmm. like think of the case system the caste system over in India mm-hmm. whereas in other cultures no, we're all very much equal um, for example then you've also got the individual collectivism so for uh, some people let's say if you look got US culture in many ways it's very much about me myself and I personal freedom individual empowerment same in the UK for example and here in Ireland to a degree whereas in other cultures like in China it's all about us it's what us as a collective it's all us doing this together and not having people do solo runs off left right and centre Another one that you have is, for example, the masculinity or femininity of a culture. And here, for example, it's all about, let's say, is life about survival of the fittest? Go back to the US again. It's all about the American dream. It's all about really competition a big part of life. Whereas if I take the likes so, of, for example, China, it's less that. It's more about, let's say, or for example, take the Netherlands, for example. It's a very feminine culture. It's all about work-life balance. It's not about working your ass off. It's all mm-hmm. about being, finishing work at, uh, at uh, five o'clock. The last one then, and there are many more, but for example, long-term orientation. So some cultures like in China, if they do a strategic plan, it's in literally, you know, it's in collections of five or even 10 years. Whereas in the U- uh, US, it's more like, for example, quarters. And that's very important. You look at think of Ireland, for example, and you think of, for example, the crisis that we experience here. You know, for us, we were more short-term orientated. And so for us, it was easier to put money on the, on the credit card, for example, and easier to take on debt whereas for example in Germany they're much more long term orientated they would never do that mm. so it, these things have very significant consequences and then broad families of, of cultures uh, how, yeah, would you, how would you group them yeah good ones so for example you often have the uh, let's say the Anglo-Saxon speaking part of the world the likes of let's say Australia and New Zealand uh, Ireland and and, uh, and the UK for example uh, but then you've also got a lot of say, for example the Asian speaking part of the world as well it really, it really depends so there's a great uh, study called the GLOBE study, which has actually put together all these uh, uh, these different, uh, let's say, these different families. It's a fantastic study to go and have a look at. And they visualise the different maps of where in the world you have these different groups of cultures. If
0: you like, I can uh, share the link uh, afterwards. The mm-hmm. yeah. Thank you so. um, and culture now, today, why is it so important precisely now and particularly for business? Oh, good question. So well, we've been around for hundreds of millions of years. And mm-hmm. if you think about it,
1: we started with our individual personality. We then move to our tribe or organisation culture, they call it nowadays. But it's actually only in the last 30 years that national culture has become so important. And it's really down to two key reasons. Number one, the deregulation of the airline industry. And number two, the creation of the internet. And if you think about it in your everyday life, think about your local shopping centre or even your local school, for example. Your local shopping centre, Quinsworth, 30 years ago, you'd meet one culture in 10 minutes. Whereas today, you walk into your local Tesco, you'll see 10 different cultures in 10 minutes. And even if you look at your everyday work, think of how many different cultures you work with, whether it be remotely or not, or in your office. Everyone now is just surrounded by different cultures. And
0: so it's like doing business blindfolded if you don't understand these different cultures that you have around you. Mm -hmm. And you you, you mentioned there in passing earlier a kind of misinvestment. A mismatch between a Dutch and an English perception of uh, of a presentation. Hmm. Um, Do you have any other good examples of uh, the cost of getting culture wrong? One hundred
1: percent. So let's (laughs) say talk about
0: presentations
1: uh, in in Germany. You know, you start with your presentation. You start with uh, the facts, and you you know finish with the vision. And for them, it's the facts, it's the logic that, that build up your argument and your presentation that are crucial. Whereas in the USA, you know, you start with the vision and you end with the facts, you might put them into the into the appendix. But, you know, in the US, it's about selling the vision. Even like closer to home, for example. I mean, you talk about uh, how, uh, let's say, the importance of close to home culture is, well, take the countries like practically right beside us. Take the Benelux. if you look at uh, the Netherlands and Belgium. So how many people and how many of your listeners would know that... The business culture in the Netherlands is the exact opposite of Belgium. So in Belgium, they're very hierarchical, whereas in the Netherlands, they're incredibly fat. You could walk into the CEO office, no problem at all. Go back to the Netherlands, they're incredibly direct. I mean, one of the most direct in the world. Whereas in Belgium, much like us, very indirect, don't like confrontation. Mm-hmm. Even if you look at how they have food in the Netherlands, it's like a 20-minute lunch with like sprinkles on top. Uh, whereas in Belgium, it's like a three-course dinner with French wine and Trappist beer. And by the way, it's during lunch that that's where the negotiation is done in Belgium. Whereas in the Netherlands, it's never done over lunch. It's always done in the meeting room. So they're right beside us. How many people would know that? And mm.
0: how important is that for, for example, somebody selling to those countries to be aware of? It's crucial. And then this concept of cultural intelligence. Um, how can we develop that? And how can we actually measure it? Whether we're any good at it or not? Well, I think the first
1: question is a great saying, a fish doesn't know it's in water, saying by Derek Seiber. So the first question is to realise that you are a fish with the water of culture all surrounding you. So Mm -hmm. the first question is to open your eyes to it and actually be curious about it. But then if you want to take it to the next level and you say, listen, this really is something very important for me and my organization, you have got cultural assessment tools where you you and your team can fill out surveys to see how you compare personally to your culture and comparing that to other cultures, for example. That's a very easy thing that you can do. And then if you really want to go to the next level, well, you can start building cultural metrics and KPIs into your organization. Like, for example, tracking uh, how much of your customer complaints is due to cultural miscommunication. Or, for example, tracking uh, the lost deals that your sales team do due to a cultural faux pas. They're typically stuff that are not actually followed or tracked or measured by organizations. But if you do that, well, then you'll be one of the world-class
0: ones. Mm-hmm. And then if we pursue that kind of um, approach and, and we learn... Um, how do we avoid the, the danger then of cultural stereotyping and perhaps losing sight of the mm. fact that each person we meet is uh, an individual with their own
1: personality? Well, well that's exactly, I, I completely agree. I think we're all a combination of 50% of personality and 50% our national culture. And some occasions, it's the personality that comes through really strong. And in other occasions, it's the likes of the national culture that comes through. Like here in Ireland... We love talking about the weather and having a bit of chit chat at the start of meetings, you know. Yeah. Whereas in Germany or in the Netherlands, it just gets straight to the point, no messing about. Eh? So I think it's understanding the different scenarios and just being uh, being aware of it. I think is one of the most important steps that you can do. To be honest. Okay,
0: and then so your best advice then for people facing lot and there are lots of them uh, facing now the challenges and opportunities of living abroad, working abroad in a in a different culture. What's your best advice for them? Oh, I think it's really important
1: to get your mindset right of what you and, for example, if you've got family coming over with you or friends, uh, help getting everyone ready and mindset-wise for this new culture. And expect the unexpected and expect this is going to be different. And take all your assumptions and throw them in the bin and come at it with a blank page. And I think what can also help massively as well is really making an effort to learn the local language. Of course, if you're moving to an English-speaking country, that's great. But if you're not really making the effort consciously to go after and learn the language even before you go, I think the last tip I gave that I found as an expat was a massive help in the Netherlands is try and take something that you're passionate about. Let's say, for example, sports. For me, in my case, I, I'm a huge fan of rugby. So I joined a local rugby team in the Netherlands. Yeah, a rugby team's big in the Netherlands, there's not, but there are certainly a number of clubs there. So I joined that. That was a great way to integrate in with the local community because I think the risk is for expats, it's so easy to go off to the expat community mm-hmm. and it's important to network with them as well. But I think it's so important to really authentically deep dive into the local culture and the local network and you'll get the best value out of it.
0: Yeah, you see you, you see that repeat itself almost, expat bubbles, whether in Dubai or in Hong Kong or in Spain. And people live in those bubbles for years and years and come home and have really not really learned a whole lot in terms of the culture or language. The amount of you know, people I spoke to in the Netherlands uh, from, let's say, from Ireland or the
1: UK, and they uh, spent years in the Netherlands and didn't speak a word of English. In fact, I was really one of the exceptions to the rule. And I mean, that's a very sad indictment of... You know, missing
0: out on the beauty of deep diving on another culture and people yeah it's a kind of in curiosity which uh, I think George W Bush was accused of that particular thing that's, that's,
1: exactly yeah. that's exactly yes
0: that's exactly so your business is called culture culture me uh, and I understand that you work with and, and help business travelers um, so h- how do you do that and what are the business benefits for clients yeah good question so if we look at the two things we do uh, the first thing we have is a, a digital content
1: platform and the second thing that we have is culture workshops so the digital content platform is basically uh, a platform where you've got the engaging videos around culture done by local people and from uh, visitors like ourselves for example to help bring about the beauty and help you understand the beauty of another culture, open your eyes to it so that's the video is the first thing, the second thing we have is award winning written content to help you understand the essence of a local culture for example how to do business like a local, the dining etiquette like for example Japan that imports its shops the etiquette and how to be aware of it or family life and that's the written content and lastly then we've also got graphs to allow you to compare your culture to the culture that you're going to be traveling to. And we have plenty of other things around that as well. For Mm -hmm. example, you can also have access to Global Network of Culture Consultants and whatnot. But essentially, it comes down to the award-winning culture videos, the content, and also the graphs to compare culture. And as for the workshops, what we do are really engaging workshops to help you understand and your team understand uh, the beauty of culture and the importance of it and how you can use, for example, simple culture models to navigate the different cultures that you're dealing with. And there, we're kind of helping teams navigate the different intercultural tensions you can have with international teams, or helping, for example, salespeople be more culturally intelligent to boost your sales as an organization.
0: Mm-hmm. And so what are your goals and ambitions then for the business in the coming years? Well, For us, if you look at why we started the business, I mean, there was a huge
1: gap in the market. So, I mean, you essentially have a map to get to your destination. But when you get there, what have you got to understand the local people? And you think of how often we use Google Maps. I mean, everyone uses it when you're going abroad. But actually, when you're going abroad, how do you find out about the local people and the local culture? It's something that people, when you put it to them, there is this kind of a map of the local people. People go, well, actually, I am really curious. This looks like something very interesting. And I think for me, trying to change the mindset of people within business travel, that this is a huge opportunity, and it's ultimately about people. I'm actually only just back from the Global Business Travel Association conference in Chicago last week, and there's some fascinating statistics in business travel. Basically, 7 out of 10 business travelers don't, speak, uh, 7 out of 10 travel managers don't speak to HR, but for 8 out of 10 Uh, let's say, business travelers' travel experience really impacts on job satisfaction. But the problem is is that 9 out of 10 travel managers don't survey their business travelers post-trip. So they're not actually asking the people, well, how can we really help you improve that whole travel experience, and where are your friction points like for example anxiety on going to new cultures or whatnot so I think for me it 's really focusing on that that people side of business travel for me is uh, is massively important so if we can shift the industry in a bit, that would be a big uh, that would be a big ambition. Mm-hmm.
0: and i think in in business today this um, proliferation if you like of of traveling living abroad, working abroad we take it for granted somewhat, but you know um, I remember growing up in the in the 70s Um, you know, that was unusual. My father didn't work abroad. All the work he did was here and everybody Mm -hmm. else's dad was pretty much the same with Mm -hmm. one or two exceptions. So it's kind of a symptom of globalisation that we've become accustomed to. So what's what's your view on where we are now with economic globalisation, you know, with Brexit, Trump and all of this? And where do you see it going from here? Well, I think if you look at globalisation, it's
1: clearly at this
0: point in time taking a
1: little bit of a breather. Uh, If you look at the likes of the elements of, uh, let's say, Trump and, and Brexit and whatnot, I think it's clear that uh, perhaps in some countries, in some parts of some countries, the acceleration of globalization has been perhaps too quick for the local governments to support uh, in some ways. So you talk about communities being left behind in certain parts of the US and the UK, for example. But I think long term, uh, it's uh, it's it's going to be with us forever. I think we're, the world is becoming more global, but we're still fiercely proud of our own national cultures. So understanding those national cultures is always going to be important, and we will never lose what the essence of what makes us special from uh, as a national countries around the world. But I think the importance of uh, of globalization, the benefits are, are just too big long term to leave behind I would would suggest
0: Okay, so leaving um, maybe work aside just for a moment outside of work what kind of things do you like to do?
1: Well I've got uh, two beautiful uh, daughters and a fantastic wife so Dee's a co-founder of me in the business uh, and uh, we've uh, we've a huge passion for travel we love travelling around the world and in fact our uh, eldest uh, Rosa she's uh, two and she's already been to 23 countries (laughs) and we've uh, only had our our, our second uh, Esme she's uh, she's only five months old now at the moment so uh, a nasty handful but they're Wonderful for me. That that really, uh, you know, it, it, when you're building a startup, it can be quite stressful. When you're coming back to that, it makes you realise what's really important. And other than that, then huge interest in rugby, massive interest in rugby.
0: Okay, so the World Cup coming up soon. Yes,
1: yeah. Actually, Japan. It's funny. Yeah, I was only talking yeah. to Vernon Jackson. Fro- frothing the at the
0: mouth of this thing Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Exactly. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so to finish, then, where can listeners find out more about you, more about your business, and and the services that you provide? You can go on to and visit our website.
1: It's www.cultureme.com. It's two easy at the end so cultureme com. or they can also email me directly at john, j-o-h-n at
0: cultureme.com be happy to help. Excellent, John. It's been a uh... Absolute pleasure. Very interesting, fascinating conversation. Thank you very much. Uh, So it just remains for me to say thanks to our guest, John Lee of Culture Me, uh, and thanks to Ben on sound. And for more on business globalization and international supply chain management, check out my blog on albalogistics.com. That's A-L-B-A logistics, all one word, dot com. And goodbye until next time. Thank you.